0: Listener Production. The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild course language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deek speaking. (laughs)
1: And welcome to Fofop. I'm Charlie Clawson, and this is our summer best of compilation series. The first episode of said series. Uh, that's right, Will and I taking a little bit of a break over the summer, but we didn't want to leave your feed empty. So we're uh, releasing best of toe fops and faux fops all over the break. Now, we've normally sort of themed the episodes. This one, I guess you would call, is uh, funny people, where <laughs> we get funny people on the show. Both Will and I chatted to many great funny people on Fofop this year. The first uh, clip we're going to play is a chat that Will had with Cam and Alexi. You would know them as the creators of uh, Finding Drago and the follow-up Finding Desperado. And this was their first foray into a television, which was a Finding Yeezus. Well, I should say online content or, or iView. Actually, I don't know where it's screened. I think it was YouTube. Anyway, it was uh, filmed content as opposed to audio entertainment. The brilliant Finding a Yeezus series um, about a mythological Kanye video game. Um, now, uh, Cam and Alexi, uh charming young men. Uh, there was l- discussion last time when Cameron Alexi came onto 5-Up, I wasn't on the episode, but when Will was talking to them, they cast aspersions around my uh, my surname, Clausen, having Nazi connections. I'd just like to reiterate, that is not true. I'm not a Nazi. They, on the other hand, are also not Nazis, but they're very funny, and this is a very entertaining chat. This is Will chatting to Cameron Alexi
2: there is an element of your show that to me reminded me i'm like this is what i like about the tv show catfish but i can feel better about this i don't have the same conflicted mix emotions <laughs> that i have about watching catfish that i have watching your stuff
3: we both love the movie catfish uh, i don't alexia yeah. i don't even know have you watched the tv series version of it
4: yeah, of course. The movie's like one of my favorite mm. movies of all time and like huge influence, inspiration for me. I am go through waves of being fully addicted to the TV show where I'll watch mm. like 14 episodes in like a day yeah. <laughs> where I'm just like, yeah, this is all I'm going to do this week and is watch 14 episodes of Catfish yeah. and go through the emotional ringer of yeah. everything from going this person's yeah. psycho, this person's getting hurt to going, God, yeah. I'm having a great time watching this yeah. maniac all it is other.
3: fucking compelling It is good to mm. watch But then you do have to check your um, Conscience at the door When you watch it Because every now and then yeah. You're watching it and you go Are these Are these two guys Actually qualified to <laughs> deal With the level of mental illness That they're dealing with I don't think so
2: And and I think that's a question that no one's going to ask watching Finding Yeezers. So so let's tell people before we get into all that, tell people what it is, where they can find it, like, you know, all the important stuff, and then we can talk about it.
3: We'll do the hard sell. Yeah. So Finding Yeezers is a mystery series, an investigative comedy series. Alexi and I have found a bizarre little unsolved mystery on the internet out there. There's a a video game called
4: Kanye Quest. What's Kanye Quest, Alexi? It's a video game that came out in 2013. Someone basically anonymously uploaded it to the internet. And it's a role-playing game, kind of like Pokemon. It looks like Pokemon. It plays like Pokemon, where you play as Kanye West, going around this town, this world, battle-rapping other rappers to try to become the greatest of all time.
3: Yeah. That's right. But the reason that people still talk about this video game today is that there's a hidden level within the game that you can access by using some weird code words. And uh, a lot of people seem to believe that this hidden level and the game itself are a recruitment tool for a new age cult called ascensionism that believes in the singularity and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a living on forever...
4: Through immortality through technology through the internet, through through the internet all of those kind of like new new world beliefs of like technology hmm. bringing merging with the human soul to create new life in new worlds that are in a digital right. space transhumanism. transhumanism transhumanism
2: so this idea and, and look it, it, it it's a compelling school of thought which is particularly in a world where like our natural environment is becoming like problematic for people, the idea that Mm. the predominant companies in the world are all technology companies and information technology companies, and we get the majority of our news and the way that our brains are shaped. Like in the last 14 years of our lives, like- our brains have, like, substantially evolved into a place where you can't get on, a, a like, a train or, like, you know, mm-hmm. in a public space mm-hmm. without people looking at their phones more than they're looking at each other. Like, that's, yeah. like, we've had 250,000 years of human beings being on this planet in some form, and in 14 years, mm-hmm. we've substantially st- changed the way that we think, um, particularly in our relationship with technology. Like, if you told me 20 years ago that, like, what you're talking about now, I'd be like, yeah, Westworld was a great movie, and yeah. I hope that they rebooted as a yes. TV series on HBO at some stage, but like it, it doesn't make any sense at that point. But no. now, mm. I mean, it makes complete sense. Like it feels like we're so close to that already being the thing. And the people who have the money, these people who want immortality, because if you look at most of the richest people in the world, they all have. Immortality schemes, you know, they're all investing in being able to extend their life through some way like physically or technologically and they're the people who have the access to that same technology. So the idea that if you had to back a future of human beings. You go, well, what are the richest people putting all their money into? Mm. It's this. It's literally yeah. what you're talking about. Life so standing stuff. I yeah. was watching this going, this is a small story in a way. Like you said, a little internet mm. game, a, a little internet mystery. But the themes behind it yeah. to me are actually very big in the relationship we have with technology and where the world is going in relation to Us and technology. Well, we
3: spoke to a a guy in the first episode, a a transhumanist expert, and the the way he framed this whole idea to us was Mm. mind blowing. Because you're right, when you first think of the idea of living on forever with technology, you do think of Westworld, or you know, putting Mm. your consciousness into a robot, or living, uploading yourself to the cloud, or something that's a bit futuristic, but. This guy that we spoke to, Peter Jing, he kind of explained to us that smart glasses are an example of Mm. transhumanism, or a bionic limb, or um, Mm. you know the sort of implants that people use to regulate insulin levels inside their bodies and stuff like that. That's it's already happening, and it's around us. It's just the next step is really the whole point of transhumanism is defying God and Mm. defying biology. And extending your life, and that's what we've all done. We're already living longer than we should.
4: It's so interesting because we—it feels like we are on the verge of science fiction, where <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, kind totally of yeah. coming into our reality. Yes, I think that was the thing that really fascinated me most with mm. like that. That transhumanist expert Peter Zing was just contextualizing what it is right now rather than like what it is far out like the stuff that we're thinking about and talking about is uploading your consciousness to the cloud so you can live forever in a digital heaven and that's kind of like what this cult ascensionism is all about but hearing about what it is right now is like oh this is so inspiring and it's like the melding of spirituality with technology was so bizarre
2: but also I mean you would argue like I mean that podcasting for example like you know Mm -hmm. but any of our elements of our lives that we're living online. But can you imagine that if you're a fan of George Carlin or if you're a fan of Groucho Marx or whoever it might be, that you are able to go to some library and access like 500 hours of them talking to people (laughs) and hear what they were like when they were just telling stories from their life or hear them go through a marriage breakup or like have kids and hear their reflection on that. At the end of that experience, you would feel like you knew that person much better than, you know, I mean, I know more about my friends because of podcasts mm-hmm. than I know about conversations I have with my friends, you yeah, know? <laughs> like yeah. I was t- I was talking to Tom Ballard the other day and I was like, yeah, I'm right across everything you're doing. I listen to all your podcasts, I'm fine. Like I know we haven't spoken <laughs> in seen six months, like but I've years. got all the highlights, man. <laughs> yeah,
3: We talked about that too. So, that yeah, was an, think, an option was mm, um, Alexi started Very early to be, on. Alexi started to have a little panic attack that the fact that he does exist forever through podcast mediums. And he started
4: thinking yeah.
3: that it's mainly going to be talk. his opinions on Mike Myers that exist
4: forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to try to make an AI out of me and get him to try and start reviewing movies to see what would happen.
2: The interesting thing is that I wonder because you talk about like how this affects stories and storytelling and science fiction. We're on the edge of science fiction. Mm. It feels to me so often that either one of two things is correct. And I think it's the latter, not the former, but the first could be that there is an era of science fiction writers who have greater futuristic imaginations than the scientists and people who are working on these things or the other is That we are limited in our imagination by the stories that have already been told, because most of the technology we develop Mm. is shit from From like it's all just like, and we always (laughs) right yeah, and often the wrong message. (laughs) Often people watch Terminator and go, "Fuck a robot dog with a gun, would be rad." Let's do that. Like,
4: (laughs) oh, what a way to go out—getting killed by your own robot dog with a gun.
3: (laughs) Remember, like about six years ago, when everyone was sharing those images from 2001 A Space Odyssey and going, look, they predicted the Mm. iPad. They predicted iPads. (laughs) It's like, no, we copied iPads from that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Yeah, we we saw it and said, let's make that.
4: There's a very enjoyable documentary I saw probably like 15 years ago. Uh, I think it's called Trekkies or Trekkers and it's about Mm. like Star Trek nerds and a huge... Uh, portion of it is about like the science and technology community and how they were inspired by Star Trek and how they were working to make uh, all the technologies from Star Trek to become reality and stuff, especially in the forms of like communications, the holodeck and all that stuff. And how is inspiring technology still today? Like, you know, that's a show that's like 60 years old now and it was like such a blueprint for technology now.
2: Well, I mean, I think, I think of that Yeah, well, at least it was kind of a good show that thought about things in an intelligent way about like a future that was like positive where we'd all sort of utopianly really worked out most of our problems. Mm. Whereas like other people are watching fucking Terminator and Robocop and going, great ideas, note this down, let's do all this shit. A flip
4: of a coin and it would have been Get Smart inspiring everything. We would have been all whipping our shoes off in the middle of the food court to start chatting to each other.
3: <laughs> it is funny when you look at Zuckerberg or Elon and the, and the things that they're working on and you realize, you're like, you guys know Skynet was the bad guys in Terminator, right? Like we're not, <laughs> it's not aspirational to make Skynet.
2: Well, that's why there was that the one of the sequels where they had the, essentially the internet company with, that was like the new oh, Skynet. Yeah. And you were like... It's Apple This doesn't work Because This is already happening Like you should have We've Just made it, yeah. it about What was really <laughs> yeah. going on At the moment Rather than going Look at this dystopian future You're like This is the present That we live in right now Yeah yeah. The one that amuses <laughs> me the most Every time it comes up Is hoverboards so, that is mm. the best example of mm. something that people are holding on trying to develop purely because they like Back to the Future. Like, there is no other practical... Mm. They would be the most dangerous fucking... Can you imagine? Mm. Like, like scooters mm. and skateboards are bad enough, mm. but a whole bunch of, like, yep. fuckers on hoverboards
3: just... Floating teams. Shut up. Yeah.
4: Like... <laughs> Go away, that is not necessary. The one advantage would be that you you can 't like roll over and break someone 's toe like i don 't know what the advantage of is you a just get them
2: in the shins, which is more painful i'd rather have a rolled over toe than a fucking hoverboard in the shins, you know <laughs> so um okay so you 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 did your two previous podcasts, your little mysteries that you like mm. to solve together, mm. solve some mysteries. Mm-hmm. And off the back of that, you're like, well, hang on. Like, maybe people would like to see our faces while we were solving these mysteries. Tell us what happened.
4: <laughs> yeah. Finally, a face reveal. <laughs> we yeah. were bagging on that face reveal that people would be really excited to find out what the two greatest humps of podcasting actually look like.
3: Next, we're going to do a feet reveal. That's going to be the next one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we, when we originally. Pitched Finding Drago We pitched it as a video series yeah. To the ABC And then they said How about a podcast Because it's Infinitely cheaper <laughs> <laughs> And so we, So we went Alright fine And we, we love podcasting It's a great It's so easy yeah. It's also like No one checks in on you When yeah. you're making a fucking podcast There's no one Banging on mm-hmm. your door Asking to see the dailies Or anything like that But the goal was always To make a series And to use it as an example Of like What we could do If we were you know, given a TV show, or, you know, if we were allowed mm-hmm. to make sort of longer form video things. So we were just excited to jump at the opportunity
4: for it. And, um, and we you know, we're such film nerds. We always yeah. think like visually and stuff. So it was kind of always a goal for us to go, Oh, we can turn all the stuff that we do in podcasting, like the recreations and how inspired those podcasts are by the movies that we love and the movies that we feel connect with audiences in the same emotional way as the stories that we're telling mm. and kind of do all that stuff visually and translate it all visually with actors and, you know, great filmmakers and stuff.
2: Yeah. And the, the style of it is, is uh, one of the more impressive things. You can see how much fun you're having with it, but it's cohesive, which is interesting because it's Mm. actually not really cohesive in style at all. Like, it's actually, you know, flipping from genre Mm. to genre to genre from scene to scene. Like, you know, there's a moment in the... So you're interviewing an actual expert in the first episode where you're suddenly like, hang on, is if they tricked me into watching some educational show, like, am I about Mm. to, like... (laughs) 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 <laughs> I'm learning yeah. stuff
4: here. Hang on a it second! I'm
0: like smart. It's
2: like what a the real. Hell? This is not a fake expert. Not- this is like a real dude who's saying intelligent things about this. <laughs> this
0: sure. on, what, that's
3: that's our plan. We're like Sesame Street. We're tricking didn't you into that learning.
2: same guy who's like nodding along to this. Say horses cock like 30 seconds ago.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but there's like there's there's yeah. elements of how you've like obviously. Thought about each of those things, saying, "What does this scene need? Like, you know, as in, like, so we're going to do a take on a interviewing an expert. Like, what are our cutaways going to look like? What are our reactions going to be? Like, how are we going to frame this so that this is like you could take it out and use it almost like as a clip in its own right? And you just go, ah." He, mm. I get this. He's an interview, but there's like a premise attached to the interview, and that is the execution of this bit. And it feels like so much of this show, even though it's very cohesive, like you, are, the, the narrative in, in particular obviously gives it a cohesion of always like moving forward, you know, exploring this narrative at the mm. heart of it, this mystery that you're trying to solve. But from scene to scene, it's almost like you've made – Little, I mean, you know, the the opening credits I've shown, like, I mean, like, I'm sorry of the clicks that I've (laughs) stolen you from, uh, like, on the subscription service because I've just, like, shown so many people I've gone, you've got to see these opening credits. And then, but then, like, the rest of it, I mean, again, this is just my observation having watched it, but it feels like one of those shows where you could literally kind of every minute and a half, like, just clip it and go... Here's a, here's a bit, here's an idea we had or about how we were going to execute this. So talk, talk to me about the process a little in regard to that.
4: Well, I would say that, like, you're pretty spot on with that because, you know, when we sit down with an expert, what you see in the series is maybe 45 seconds or a minute of them telling us something really interesting or something wild um, that uh, it adds all the color that we need for the story and all the information and exposition, the gravitas that the audience needs to kind of understand. And it's kind of like a way for us to, like do a shorthand of communicating a lot without... like having to go, read this Wikipedia page before you get to the next scene. But with the way that we make it, we have to sit down with this person for a full hour and talk to them. And, you know, that full hour also equals probably three hours of including the setup, the talking to this person, getting them to feel camera ready, getting them to feel in the same zone as us. And usually that works out to um, the person being quite funny on camera <laughs> instead of like being mm-hmm. like a person mm-hmm. that we're hoodwinking or whatever. Mm-hmm. They get into the same zone as us. They they understand what's going on, they want to play with us, they want to riff with us, and that's something that we found over this making this one in particular. Was we always have that idea of like, oh, I'll be so cool to be like Ali G or Bora and like get someone so like stick in the mud, someone so like serious, and then we're just funny with them, and then they always just become funnier than us when we're <laughs> hanging out with them, yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
3: Yeah, they jump on board very quickly, and I think uh, yeah, you raised a good point. And it's 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 the storytelling stuff. I mean, you get it from making TV. You know what it is like. You need to make the dry stuff entertaining. So we just broke every episode down into you know types of segments that we wanted. We knew we wanted expert interviews but we wanted to break them up with us being goofy to camera in our office and then we wanted to have really cinematic looking recreations with people dressed in matrix outfits and we wanted to have something a little bit stunty out in the real world in every episode and hopefully all those things kind of Merge together in a way that feels like, yeah, we're tricking people into learning something at the end of the day. Yeah.
2: So I, I, and I look, there's a million questions I would love to ask you about this, but I also absolutely don't want to like, you know, put on a balaclava and suddenly become the masked documentary maker and unmask all the secrets (laughs) of how you put together one of these things. I I, I I would love to know, I I would love to know all the secrets. Don't get me wrong. And like, you know, I, (laughs) I will ask you all individually off air what those secrets are, but, sure, um, sure. but you know, when you set out on a mystery, like, you know, you're making something that you know you're going to film and you have to complete, do you have a sense of what the journey is going to be? And like, don't be too specific about this obviously, but do you have a sense of what you imagine the journey is, is going to be? And then how much room do you leave for being genuinely surprised by twists and turns along the way?
3: I'll tell you this. We, we, we did not know how this series was going to end when we'd started filming it Mm -hmm. but we we hoped it would go a certain direction so Mm we planned for it to go down a certain path and then about three days into production that path was a dead end and we found Mm -hmm. a new fork and we just had to roll with that and go down that way um, so yeah There's always a plan But usually In fact every time We've done one of these It's gone yeah. another direction And we've just had to yeah. Roll with it
4: uh, Which is fun kind And the- fucking terrifying <laughs> It's so terrifying. Like, I think that's kind of the easiest way to describe it is for a documentary, you have to plan so freaking much. And especially (laughs) Mm, where small production, we have a short shooting window. You have to plan so much. We have to write scripts of like the comedy beats that we want to do, but then also like the story beats of what we thought would be happening. We've had to do that every time. But like Cameron said, it changes every time. And I would say that no matter how much you can plan with documentary, you're making, you're telling a narrative through reality. And reality is not something you can totally control and you can't really control where the story's going. And I would say that like a good example of it would be... When we were pitching this idea to, uh, to um, having it done well and to Screen Australia, the whole series that we had mapped out for our pitch was like six episodes and almost the entire of those six episodes looked like it was just episode one as yeah. what we filmed.
3: Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, we condensed everything down really quickly because things just kept <laughs> moving forward.
1: <laughs> How funny was that? I definitely listened to that clip that you just listened to, and now I'm commenting on it. Uh, next up, we have Sam Peterson. You might know him as the host of Confessions of the Idiots. Uh, I love having Sam on the show, and he told a particularly hilarious story about the worst ever stand-up gig he did back when he was doing stand-up. I don't want to spoil any more of it, um, but you should definitely check out his podcast,
5: Confessions of the Idiots. Sam Peterson, take it away. Thank you for having me, Charlie, and thank you for not calling me the idiot. I think that's really (laughs) exciting. The first time someone's not called me the idiot of the confessions, uh, which is great. Any bad review I've ever got, Charlie, and I'm sure. I don't know if you ever read... Reviews, I always feel like it's a bad thing to do. But my, anytime I read one, it's like, there is one confession of the idiot, and the idiot <laughs> is Sammy P. I'm like, oh, damn it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you really did set yourself up for that. I, I did <laughs> back. Are you talking like Apple? Is this on Apple or where?
5: Apple, it... Apple podcasts. And yeah. yeah, if I ever delve in, like, if I ever go really hard into any other website, .com, mm-hmm. any HTTP, um, yeah. I always find that I'm, really ridiculed for either my voice or for the name of my podcast i think oh, at yeah. a big deal at the moment you know I don't actually know
1: i, I used to i think because topop has been around for so long i just assume no one could be bothered reviewing us anymore I'd be surprised <laughs> they're if they're over it. a review in five years but i remember at the start <laughs> I was really... Like back when there was like only four podcasts going, I used to read them because they were mostly positive. I imagine there would be a lot of negative ones. Now, I do remember one because I think we did an episode that was a bit like mean tweets where I picked (laughs) some of the worst ones and read them out (laughs) the world, which he did not appreciate i think will no. as a live performer as a comedian i think he avoids uh negative feedback as much as possible which
5: <laughs> i i think you should sense. as well there's there's a, there's a part of you i think that i i always love it when any anytime you get with someone that that you know you're just talking about emceeing a gig before anytime someone gets together and they've done any sort of live performing it mm. always comes up about worse gigs Of all time. And I I think when you've done some of the worst gigs ever, you actually don't actively seek out bad reviews. (laughs) Like it feels like you're really going for unnecessary hurt if you start looking up, you know, actively looking up bad reviews. I mean, I think you know it's only going to – like no one –
1: I guess it's the good and the bad, right? Like if you're going to look up reviews of yourself to feel good, then <laughs> yeah. chances are you're going to read something that's going to make you feel bad. And sure. I'd say for most people, it's the thing that makes you feel bad that's going to stick out <laughs> in your mind the most. So there was one review <laughs> where it was like some, I don't know, like his, uh, his, his name was like, you know, Soldier Man, you know, with a, and he had like a union. Not Soldier like Boy. Not the soldier boy, it's like soldier man with like an Anzac kind of crest. And like, I was like, all right. And he was like, these two champagne sipping limousine liberals with their blah, blah, blah left in them. latte like, sipping, yeah. Limousine liberals. Like, I'd never heard that before. And maybe, or, yeah, I just, it was just a, I'd never really thought of myself as a champagne. I, first of all, I don't like champagne. I don't ride in limousines that often. I Imagine if, if that's what you from. and
5: Will were doing with um with your Patreon money. You just went around <laughs> exclusively Sipping in limousines. <laughs> Your yeah. family are like, please, Charlie, we need food on the table.
1: I do I mean, have you ever left a bad like have you ever left a bad review for something or like on Yelp or anything like that?
5: Never. Like, even if I yeah. get, you know, bad food or anything, I would never leave a review. I would never go away from a venue saying I'm going to leave a bad review and possibly ruin this person's career and livelihood. It feels like such yeah. a weird thing to. My mum was so, like, my mum doesn't really understand the difference between good feedback and bad feedback. And any time <laughs> that must have been very confusing yeah, as a child. Real bad distinction. <laughs> and I remember once I was doing, and I will admit, I did one of the worst comedy festival shows of all time with comedian Greg Fleet and look he was out of it every night he was he was not in a good way and we were we were doing the show and it was a sketch show and look, when you look out at your fellow partner in the in the scene and they are not um really conscious, you kind of go, Well, look, this is this is not gonna be a good show. And my mum told me after one of the shows, she came along, she came up to the city to watch the gig and she told me after it, she goes, Yeah, I heard two two girls who came to the show, two young girls. And I was like, Oh, great, okay. And I was like, Oh, right, okay. And I never ask, I always think it's a bad move to say, oh, what did they say? Because I feel like that's only asking for something. I always go, oh, okay, like I am I never want whatever they said. And my mum goes, they said it was the worst show they ever saw.
1: <laughs> Michael Chamberlain and I did a comedy <laughs> festival show in like 2001 or 2002, Called oh, what is it like? Some dumb title. It was it was a show about professional wrestling, and I think we called it Wrestle Stock, as in you know Woodstock, like because we thought that was clever.
5: <laughs> Great, and Love it. Yeah. I remember
1: like it was it was sort of loosely themed, like it was like we ran it as if it was like a wrestling show, you know, like uh, but you know, but we made jokes about wrestling, and you know, we like we sort of did little sketches and all this kind of. It was a very niche. I don't know what the fuck we were thinking. Very <laughs> overconfident, probably.
5: Yeah, yeah. But yeah. um, the Venn diagram of the crossover there. It would not be that big. wasn't
1: huge. But we made the mistake of inviting like a local wrestling group, you know, like a, in a. I think it's they're called Melbourne City Wrestling Federation or something like that.
5: I don't know them personally, mm. but I think they sound great. I would <laughs> never say anything bad about them. So I think Michael reached
1: out to them and said, hey, like we're doing this show about wrestling. So, you know, you guys might be interested. And so these guys came along. And the first night was like mostly our friends, you know, a few punters, but I'd say it was like 90% our friends, 5% punters, and then 5% these like (laughs) wrestling dudes. And wrestling shows, like when people go to see a wrestling show, like it's raucous. That's part of the theater of it is you boo the bad guys, you cheer the good guys, there's a lot of call and response, like it's that's, that's the point of it, which- we probably should have taken into account when we invited a bunch of wrestlers and wrestling fans yeah. to this show because as soon as it started, they just started like yelling shit out and interrupting the flow and heckling. But with the best of intentions, Sam, like we couldn't really be mad at them because they weren't doing anything that – they didn't think they were doing anything bad. They weren't trying to disrupt the show. That's just what happens at wrestling shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember yeah. my brother had come along, my older brother, and he'd brought a mate from work and they'd had a few beers before they got there and they were quite, you know, excited and, you know, looking forward to the show. And it was just such a fucking train wreck where we couldn't get a line out without being heckled, shit kept going wrong. That my I turned at one point and my brother was just sitting there like – with his head in his hands like he just <laughs> he couldn't look like it was just so bad and you know remember that uh, there's a joke in The Simpsons where they go to Duffland and it's like the, the Duff parade and you've got the seven stages of like alcoholism sort of wandering yeah, out yeah, it yeah. starts off like happy <laughs> then it's angry then it's despondent I watched my brother go through these like seven stages <laughs> of just like happy arrived happy despondent and by the end he was just oh, a broken man it was like yeah. I think maybe like he was too empathetic he just, he just saw me up, st- up on stage dying dying a thousand deaths and it just was a brutal show for him. And at the end I, I went to say goodbye to him and he just like he couldn't even speak he was so embarrassed oh. on my behalf
5: so hard for you though as a performer like looking out and seeing that like yeah. that's not a nice thing to look out and see someone with their head between their hands well back when you
1: did more stage work did you mm. like or dislike it when you had friends and oh. family come
5: Absolutely hated it. Like I hated yeah, people that I knew coming along. Like and I people that I knew and loved really closely. Like it was fine when it was someone that I used to know back in the day from high school or something. And they would come if along. If there's enough distance. If there's enough yeah. distance, I didn't really care necessarily about what they thought. But I remember any time someone that I really cared about came. It would be the worst gig I ever had, and it was kind of like it was kind of the. It just went without saying. It was like one time I remember going out. And I've got two worst gigs. If you want to hear them, uh, Charlie, and and they are really. I don't know if anyone has had a worse gig as my second gig. I, I kind of think it's 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 awful. And two people that I know really well came to. These gigs. The first gig I went out and it was two people and the the two people absolutely hated me. Like they were not, they were not on board at all. They weren't encouraging at all. Not encouraging. And look, it was those two people and then like nine comics that were on because they always seem that I always feel like if the number of comics outweigh the number of audience members, I don't think we really need to go on. And I've always been like, I don't think we need to do this tonight. Like let's (laughs) bail as quickly as we can. But I went out. And the first words out of, so I walk out before I've even said anything. A guy, the, one of the audience members, one of the two yells out, your shit. Like before I've ever, I, I haven't even said anything. So he yells out, your shit. And then in my head, I'm really positive and I go, well, I've still got 50% of the audience. I'll just do it to that one person. And they were smiling the whole time, really lovely, but not laughing. And, yeah. and not that I, you know, really expected raucous applause at that point. But then by the way, bold bold heckle, because <laughs> you're not hiding in the crowd with that one. Like it's not like you're like, who said that? <laughs> Spotlight you know? on them. And also yeah. they were there by themselves. <laughs> like that's never I've never really understood someone that goes to a comedy venue by themselves. sounds like specifically to that's why they went. Someone that wanted to ruin my life. And Then yeah, so it was like um, it was like yeah, your shit, and then this other person just smiling the whole time. And then I went up to them after that, after after the gig, and you know I was like, oh, thank you for you know smiling. Like no, no, thanks for laughing, but you know, but thank you for smiling the whole time. And they said, I don't speak English. And so that was my whole gig and I remember the person who would come up was like my best friend who would come up to to the city and I was like 18 and they were like, oh, is this and this is what you want to do? You sort of want to do this?
2: Why did they go see a show?
1: Hang on. I've got to like, you can't just brush over this. There's two things are going on here, right? Firstly, if you don't speak English, why have mm. you paid money to sit in the audience <laughs> of a show that is probably most definitely going to be in English?
5: Yeah, there's no Charlie Chaplin-esque uh, vibe there that night. It was all pretty much spoken word.
1: Or oh, so it's either it's either that or or they're lying. They, they didn't want to hurt your feelings. It was so bad. Yeah. And they say me
5: no speaking no English. <laughs> that feels like likely. That. I think I would do the same, to be honest. I feel like I would absolutely do the same. The uh, the the other um bad gig Charlie is that uh one time I was going on a date and they decided to come along to a gig and I was like, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I was gonna go and do a gig at this place um first. So I had two gigs that night. First gig was at this bar and I was like, great, it'll be great. Come along to this one. And they couldn't make it because they just had something else, drinks with friends, and they're like, well, come to the second one. And I ended up doing a gig at a trivia night. And, you know, they're mm. not great for comedy anyway, but I was like, you know, I'll, I'll go and oh. do it. And this 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 person said they'll come along. And I went along. I was a little bit late from the other gig and the person who was organising the gig said I won't be there, but just so you know, in between the the trivia, we will get you up in the break, and you can start doing comedy. Oh, God. So that sounds awful! Sounds awful already. Like that sounds horrific. But you know, a dollar's a dollar, and you got to make that. You got to make yeah. that money rain. And I was like, okay, sure. And I also wanted to impress this person, so I ended up going to the gig. Rock up. I am sitting at the bar, and then they go to the break, and I know that's when I am meant to get up. But you know, a normal person will go wait till they introduce you, but I went, no, 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 no. The, the quicker we can get this over, the quicker I can go home and go on a date with this person. So I ended up getting up without being introduced. I must have looked like some drunk from the bar that just got up and because, you know, I was born with facial oh palsy, no. so that's what a lot of my humour was at the time. I go, um, you know, I I'd pretty much open a gig when, when are you going to talk about your fucked face? Um, you know, that was pretty much my, no, I oh, mean, no. it was smarter than that, Charlie. I don't want but that was pretty much my gear. And I opened the gig. People are confused. They, they, they mm. saw me as a drunk that got up from the bar and, you know, basically started talking and they were like, they probably thought it was still part of the trivia. You know, the answer mm. that night was sadness and regret. And I just kept talking and talking, waiting. I was like, got 15 minutes. I'll keep going. Got, I, I got back to my seat, nothing, no standing ovation, nothing. Got back to my seat and I got a text from the person who was organising the room and all the text said was, where are you? And I was like, oh, I'm at, I'm at the gig. I just did the gig. And he said, oh, no, they're waiting for you. What? There are two bars in Melbourne with the same name. Oh, no. The Imperial Hotel. No. I went to the wrong one. My date was also at the other one because they apparently got the gig right. So I was randomly (laughs) at a different bar. And I thought for a second, like, I actually was the drunk that got up from the bar and just started talking. God. <laughs> but like also, I thought they were the worst crowd ever, <laughs> and they were like like if you think about it, they're like the most polite crowd of all time. They wow. just sat there in stunned silence. for the That <laughs> is like Hoffman
1: Esque, just going to a place where no one's expecting comedy, and just getting up and doing this stand-up routine. And did you say? And you said you opened by talking about your palsy. So they were just like, "Oh shit!" Like if they did, if they didn't know you're a comedian, they just think you're some guy. Has to get like this poor guy that needs to get this off his chest. So they just sat there in polite (laughs) silence. That is extraordinary and yeah the fact you kept doing it after that is even oh. more extraordinary.
5: it was i gotta get that 15 minutes i gotta get that 15 minutes i was just like looking at the wow. time going it has to be 15 minutes to get paid and it was excruciating and anytime is- i ever tell that story it, it sort of trumps other people's um you know i i went to a bad gig in a footy club it's like no no i literally wasn't booked <laughs>
1: I told you it's a good story. Who would have thunk it? Two pubs with exactly the same name. Uh, We're going to finish up now with Will chatting to the one and only James Fosdyke. Uh, He is the Pharaoh of the felt pen. He is the Doyen of the dot matrix printer. I don't know. He's the guy who does the art for all our shows. I mean, you know who Fos is. He doesn't need an introduction, but we wanted to get him on the show very badly because he's been doing work for us for a long time and he's just done the cover of Will's book. And so they have a great long chat about where his inspiration comes from and what it's like creating artwork for our silly podcast. So without further ado, adieu, adieu, whatever. Here is Will chatting to James Fosdyke.
0: Have you talked about your new show, uh, the show title or anything yet? No,
2: but we can now we can do we can actually have that conversation now because we have signed up well we've mm. you've done the artwork and we've signed off on the name and so it's going to be called Willuminate it will be on tour all over australia hopefully uh, in 2023 and uh yeah so when so now that people know that and they know that you've already created the art yeah give us a ch- chat about it a little bit
0: so usually like i will come in with my hackles raised just going what are you expecting you're expecting something tomorrow like <laughs> the, the kind of like um, how dare you talk to me um, before I've had my coffee yeah. kind of kind of stuff but it's 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 just like um, yeah they give me the word and it was illuminate this year um, and a few dates were sort of were thrown up and and i think i just let my people know how long i'd need to draw on average because i think i've done some insane i've gone to just some insane lengths in the past that that aren't necessary i don't think like well that, that they were at the time but yeah I think
2: – Well, the, the, uh, sometimes they're not sustainable is uh, is I, what I would also <sighs> say. Is like I, I'm, I'm tending to do one of these shows every year. And, yeah. uh, you know, I want like an idea every year. And like yeah. some of the ones that you've done are like if you were trying to do that level of detail every year, there'd be no time for Auntie Donna <laughs> that- <laughs> and they're bloody good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, but also I think that over the years what has changed a lot also is the way that even people consume these. So I remember when you did yeah. um Willuminati, which is an incredible like, you know, piece of art. Like it's, it's a nice got poster. It's got you know, the Sydney side of my world on one side of the street and mm. the LA side of my world that where I was living on the other side of the street and all these actual people, you know, fans like all drawn into the poster. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. Like it's a it's a nice design. It it pops. Like that's what I a word I use a lot with you is pops and and it's just kind of like it's just that thing that satisfaction that it that I need to have in it as an image because you can you know you can draw something well mm. but if the idea behind it sucks then it's going to be a, a sucky idea that's drawn well right I'm really proud of that Illuminati and I'm looking at it right now because it's above mm. my like. It's one of the biggest posters I've got in the studio kind of thing. Yeah,
2: it's incredible. But what's happened also just in the sense of me doing shows and the way that that all works is that, you know, your posters then become – for people who come and see the shows, they'll understand this, but basically we have a really simple way of doing it, which is take me out of the poster and the poster then becomes – the backdrop for what I stand in front of while I do the yeah. show. So, you know, that I, here I am in real life, popped out of the poster. And
0: that's just the way we've yeah. done it since Illuminati, yeah. I think. So it's like I have to approach it like like two posters mm. in a way, like so an image that can sustain um, interest without you or frame you in a way, like um, as a backdrop to your poster. Yeah, it's a it's a really fun way of, of, of doing it. I think that one year – I remember when that when that first one came up the Williamardi and you had the street background and stuff I was just blown away right I could just look at it and just go like they've they've done Scenic Studios is their name mm-hmm. right they've done such a good job of replicating my artwork like I have no fucking idea like how they've sort of put it together like but they they've painted it onto a canvas and it looked like my work at the time. And and I was just amazed. And, and then you've got stuff that, that presents a bit more of a challenge. Like there was one year, what was your show where I did all the tiny wheels all over you?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember which show it was, but I know the poster you're
0: talking about. Oh, my God. And it was just like I drew you covered in wheels. And that... Crit- critically Will, I think maybe. It might have been Critically Will. Is that yeah. Critically Will? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think but, so. Um,
0: that was one of these things, which is a theme of mine, which is to revisit um, an old idea that I've had in the past uh, to see if I can do it better. And so I do that a lot and I've, I've realized. And what I was doing with that was using a, an image that I'd done for Josh Tyler, the writer, for one of his plays called swallow me and it was all about this guy going crazy and and he had all these little versions of himself around the table and stuff not drawn anywhere near as well as yours these are two things that that won't conflict with each other because one's an idea from a theater show like 15 years ago or or something but um but yeah, I have I have found myself sort of coming back to some ideas and 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 sort of revisiting them. But this this one, was
2: well? So just a bit, before we get to this one, I, I just want to like briefly yeah. talk about this this previous year that we've sure. just had with the logical show because of all the like particularly ones that have been turned into backdrops, you know, for the show. Like, I've never had more universally positive feedback about how many many people just loved – it just looked really fucking cool. Like, it just was one of those ones that – Well, I haven't got to see it yet
0: because this show is the only one of yours that I haven't seen since we've been working together. Like, because of COVID, basically. Like, um, yeah. yeah. But
2: you know what I will say? So, there's a special coming out that people will be able to see at the end of the year where you'll be able to see the show. But – The one thing that they couldn't fully capture in the way they shot that special was like how – because they had to shoot it with TV lights and you have to light it in a different way. Like when you're in a theatre, you light the backdrop and just me, right? Like so that like it's a theatre experience but to shoot it for a special, you know, you're lighting it in a way that it didn't really highlight – you don't really get a full sense of what the entire backdrop is in the show which is probably the only thing that is really disappointing to me because it looked – so fucking cool.
0: Oh, awesome. Well I think we're going we're going in a similar mm. fashion for the next year's uh, poster, I think. Like because I've become really interested um a lot in you know, I think it, it was a couple of years ago that it was like I was talking to you about the possibility of uh, a a moving Mm -hmm. image or something like that, and you're like, that makes me sick. Don't don't make me look at it. And I'm like, you're right. You don't want a backdrop that makes people physically ill. Physically will. I need to point out,
2: though, for the record, Um, when I say that makes me sick, I mean the the image itself (laughs) made me feel a bit sick. Would would give you vertigo or give you this feeling of like. It's not that that's how I talk to James. I need people to know no, no, no! You make yeah. me sick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's um, so it's something I've been I've been really <laughs> interested in the last couple of years. Is these these um patterns and and stuff that you can find that that uh that make your eyes move and and stuff like that, or or just patterns that I would find. And this is where. I admit to being a thief, I think it's, but it's like tiny little desktops that I find that are like these warped little images that, that will play with your mind. But I just, I blow them up to a meter and a half and you just, you've just got a fuzz there and you just make your own, basically using that fuzz as a, as a rough guide to, to making your own kind of pattern. So it's not like, it's not a hundred percent stealing from them. It's, it's like blowing up a, a a two centimeter square to a, to a meter and a half and and seeing what you can do with it. So I've, I've, I've had so much fun playing with that and playing with color as well. Like, and I think that happened with at the, like in philosophy, I started to go a bit nuts with the color. Like it's, It's the new brushes, man. Like you remember when we caught up in Melbourne, and I was like, "Oh, my boss is like, you need to try new brushes, man. You need to, you need to try these new digital brushes, and they'll make it work." Like people, because people at the time were like, oh, it just looks like a photo." You're, you're, you've what? What? I remember someone fucking commented on one of yours, (laughs) and it was the one where you've got the vine pointing at your dick, and that took so long. And they were like, "What button did you press?" or "What?" What program did you use to get this image? And that was just like, fuck, man. And so- What
2: I loved about that the most, though, is that was just some, and again, like comedians do this all the time, but it's good to see that it's not just comedians, because that was just some naive internet person asking just a question they they, they didn't understand, right?
0: I know. And, and they don't know how much that shit just infuriates you've me. You've thought about it like, and I just, constantly. And that's why it. I'm quite like I don't – I have trouble like online mm. in public because I stick to the whole like I don't want to give assholes attention any more yeah. attention than I give the people that like my work. And then I don't give much attention to the people that like my work because mm. that feels – really it feels wrong for me just to I, I, I don't like the idea of my Twitter feed being like thank you thank you so much oh thank you that's so nice of you thank you like that feels really wanky as well um but I really I, and don't get me wrong I love people that love my stuff and but then something like that like do you press a button or whatever to, to get your work after you spent three fucking months or something, um, yeah, makes you makes you kind of kind of think. And so in Melbourne a couple of years back, I caught up with the boss of Jackie Winter, who's the management company who manages me, and and he was basically pushing me towards uh, trying out these digital brushes by another artist in the in the group. I forget his name, but he runs a, a True Grit Texture Supply and they're like realistic digital brushes for, for Photoshop and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I, it just came along one day. Like it took me a while to get there, but there was one day where I was bored, I had a little bit of extra money and I was just like, I'm going to try out a few of these brushes. And I haven't gone back. Like I've I've had to go back because there's been some jobs that I've had to do. That I've drawn in my old style that I don't draw anymore, like that. I was doing something for the AFL that that didn't end up happening.
2: Oh, did that not end up happening? In there, it
0: it kind of half happened and then right. they kind of faded out. And I still think there might be, it might be one of those things that I can't say too much about. Yeah, but who cares? Yeah. Like it was, it was such a fun job. Like I was drawing. Uh, people like players from the AFL as superheroes. And, um, so, you know, I think I've gotten through, uh, six or seven of the, of the teams and, um, yeah, that was, that was fun going back and forth because I was using you and Charlie a lot for that because I don't know (laughs) shit about football. So, um, and yeah, so it was great. Like I'd have a little, like I'd call Charlie up about quantum cop and end up talking about some like player from Melbourne or something, Petrarca or, or something like that. And, and we're like, what kind of superpowers do you think he would have? That's <laughs> like the perfect question to ask Charlie to distract him.
1: And that was it. Will and Foz together at last. Um, I'll get out of your hair. There'll be more best ofs coming over the summer break, so check your feed every week. And just a little uh, reminder that we're also doing a summer series for Two Guys, One Cup. Well, I, sorry, more accurately, I am doing a summer series for Two Guys, One Cup, in which I chat to celebrities about the teams that they love and sometimes hate. We've had Broden Kelly from Auntie Donna on, Adam Zwa popped in, uh, Rana Hussein. It's a good listen. It's only half an hour episodes, a great way to get your footy fix and your comedy fix over the summer break. Uh, that's all on the listener app. So I'd encourage you all to go and listen to that until the season proper starts again in a few months' time. Um, but for now, I'll check I'll check out. I'll, I'll check out. I'll my I am, sorry, just a little bit of insight. I've been cleaning and getting my house ready for guests for the past two or three days, and I'm losing my mind. So I am going to check out. And by that, I mean kill myself. And by that, I don't actually mean that. I'm just going to end this podcast. Another uh, best of coming up next week. I'm Charlie Clawson.